book of Exodus chapter 3. We're going to go into some scripture. It's been a long time since I think I've touched on this, but I felt the Lord leading me back there. And uh, so we're, we're going to speak tonight from, I'm in Genesis, Exodus, right? That's where we're going. Exodus chapter 3, starting at verse 1. I knew it didn't look right. Exodus, now Moses was tending, verse 1, was tending to the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to, came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, and, but the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will, not, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why this bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And then he said, do not, do not draw near this place, but take your sandals off your feet, from, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows, so I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them into that land, to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Father, thank you for the word. Thank you for insight tonight. Thank you for fresh revelation, for eyes to see by the Spirit. God, I thank you for what you are doing in this house and doing in the region and even in the nation. God, I give you praise for it right now. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. I want to speak to you. I don't have a good title, but this is the title I got. And it's not just a message. I don't want to preach at you. I really don't. That's not my intent. I'm just declaring what I believe the Lord is saying. I'm speaking to you tonight on, on encounters and on movements and harvest. On encounters, movements, and harvest. For the last number of weeks or possibly months since Charlie has been out of pocket quite a bit, so keep praying for them and Charlie and Miss Jackie and Danny and Miss Adrian, keep them covered daily in prayer. Uh, but since then, I, I had to uh, get to go by and pick up Michael. And uh, every time we get in the car, almost not every day, but every time we get together, he's asking me this question, what is the prophets saying? What are the prophets saying? And I think that's an interesting question. Sometime I, uh, you know, he'll ask me, what are they saying about this issue or about that issue? And uh, sometimes I'm saying, well, I haven't heard that they've changed, anybody's changed their mind or that they're saying anything different. But I do believe the prophets have been speaking. Remember what God said in the book of Amos. I do nothing except I first reveal it to my servants, the prophets. He begins to unfold his truths to us. But the more he says that, the more it makes me think, why do I want to know what the prophet is saying if I'm not going to run with what is being told? Because if I'm doing it, I'm just heaping myself a bunch of frustration. I, I really am. See, I believe prophets have been speaking, especially in the last couple of years, we have to understand something. They are speaking on national levels. 
most of the prophets that come in here are not speaking on national levels, although they can catapult that way to some degree. They have. Pastor has done that. Others have come in. But most of the time, we're listening to these major guys talking about what's going on in the political arena, what God is doing, the unfolding, the exposing. And how many knows things are happening? You, you know, things are happening, church. I mean, we've got the greatest opportunity to see Road versus Wade overturn than we've had in years. But somebody posted something recently about that the day all of that leaked. The church was very silent about it. Nobody was jumping up and down, but the world went nuts. Those that were opposing. Even today, a bill went before the Senate, if I understood, would have been one of the most horrific bills that would have, would have almost sealed that, whether it got overturned or not, abortion was still going to be strong. But thanks be unto God, somebody, it got voted down today. Praise God. We ought to be rejoicing over these things that are happening. And there is an unfolding and there is an exposing of things. So God is redoing things on a national level, but I also believe God is doing something on our level. And he speaks about regions. He's been speaking to us through several prophets about the region, but he's also been speaking to us about our church and I've been going back and rehearsing every word that I possibly can, and I don't want to keep going over those things, but, but I think we've got to pay attention because if we don't make it applicable, we're going to constantly, what, what's the next prophet going to say? Hello? And, and we've got to make sure that we are hearing what the prophet is saying. I... Uh, I had a prophet, what's his name, apostle, who was here, uh, Anthony, that was just recently here, spoke a word over this house. And, and he began, I'm not going to read all that word, but he began to talk about that God, we were going to see a victory and that we're going to see a breakthrough. Hallelujah. Now, th in things that we've been praying for, Things that we've been believing for. But wait a minute, that may, that word I believe was to the house, but that word could have also been to all of us individually. But what was the prophet talking about when he's talking about a victory? Where are we needing to see victory at? Where are we needing to see breakthrough? See, we got good language, but we really, I don't know if we fully understand the language of what God is saying. I don't know that I know all of it. That's why we've got to sit and we've got to rehearse and pray into that. God, what are you talking about? I, I just felt I needed to look up the definition of the word breakthrough. Let me give you a couple of I'm I'm in my message, so just hang with me. It means a sudden, dramatic, and important discovery or development. It also means an instant of achieving, achieving success in a particular sphere or activity. But it also means an act of moving through or beyond an obstacle. So I could say, man, I've got a breakthrough because I'm up against the wall. Well, somebody here may be up against the wall. Maybe you've been bound up financially, physically, whatever, and the breakthrough is coming. I've done everything I know to do, and I can't get through it, and God said there's a breakthrough coming, so it's there. So it's there. But if God says it's a sudden, dramatic, important discovery of something, 
then that is something that we haven't seen yet. Maybe it's what we've been looking for. Maybe it's what we've been asking for. Evidently, somebody's been praying and fasting for something in this area. It could mean a number of things beyond just the ideas of what we think a breakthrough is. Because I've got through an obstacle only to find myself at another obstacle. And the next week, I'm having to believe God for another breakthrough. But it also can mean an, an instant of achieving success in something that we've been working at. Because I don't think we've fully seen the breakthrough in the region yet that we need to see. I, I really don't. The National Day of Prayer proved that to me. It was a great day, but I thought, my goodness, and this is no slam to anybody. I'm not on anybody's case, especially y'all's. But I thought on the National Day of Prayer, this whole community ought to have come together. And for the number of people that are in this community and the people that showed up, that was only a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of what was there. And it wasn't just here, but it was in different pockets of the region. I talked to a pastor today. He said, I invited every pastor in our city. I sent out emails. I sent out texts. I put out calls in a city that's a little bit smaller than ours, down, down south of us. He said, we only had eight people show up on the National Day of Prayer. So see, there's some things that we still got to contend for. I don't want to get off on that, but we got to contend for it. Because it, we haven't broke through in some areas. But I believe there's some things that God is saying that he is doing in this church. That we're at the cups of a breakthrough, of a victory that we've been looking for. God said, I'm going. God said, he said, I am, I am a God of breakthroughs. I'm the almighty God and I still work miracles. Now, when we think about miracles, most of us are still thinking about, you, you know, somebody's eyes popping open. That's a great miracle to see if it does happen. But I believe there could be other miracles that maybe you don't know that we've been believing for, asking for, and maybe how we can impact our city, how we can, and whether you want to believe this or not, we can get this building filled back up again and going back in the direction that we once were heading to say we're going to take our city for God. See, some of you are saying, but pastor, I'm not into numbers. Then you're not into harvest. Because if we're into harvest, numbers are going to be vital. We're run by numbers, so I can't get off there. I'm still not where I want to be there. But I just want you to see that. Then God says, God, God says he's doing something strategic. God said, I'm going to move some things around. I'm going to move some out. I'm going to move some in. And that doesn't necessarily mean everybody's leaving. Get that out of everybody's head. And it doesn't mean anybody's bad because they get shifted around. Hello? God said, I've got to get the right person because sometimes if you're like me, I, I try, I don't, you know, if I'm trying to do something, I may try to use a hammer to bust through something when I don't need a hammer. Hello? And that's how we sometimes do, or I use a, you, you know, I use a screwdriver for a pry bar. It wasn't made to be that. And I got a good pry bar, but because I was too lazy to go get the pry bar... Or maybe the size I needed. I got my best screwdriver, and then I wonder why it gets all messed up. Hello. Come on, somebody. somebody we've got to get out of this nonsense that I must be bad if I just got shifted. 
But God said, I'm shifting some things in. It's very strategic. He said, I see, he said, I see a chess piece. Now, I don't play chess, but I know each, each little guy on that chess board is strategic and how you move them in order to win that chess game. And I do believe God is doing some great things. I don't have time to hit all the words, but I picked up a word that was with us at the first of the year. One of Pastor Val and Miss Sherry's friend, Bruce Gander, came in, and he talked about strategies. See, those are key words to me because you don't know how I pray all the time. I'm saying, God, give us a clear strategy. And then when somebody like that that doesn't know hasn't been here and they're using language like that, it perks my ears up even more. When I haven't talked to Apostle Anthony and he's talking to us about a strategy, it makes my ears perk up more because he doesn't know how I've been praying. But when we understand what God is doing, he sends the prophet as becomes an, a moment of encounter for us. Let me set the stage of what, what I want to I go to through the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus, are you all okay? The book of Exodus is really a book of redemption. It is a book of redemption, a picture of redemption from the front of it to the end of it is what it's all about. And, and so in the beginning of this, it's talking about the children of Israel. And this goes all the way back to Abram. In the book of Genesis, chapter 15, 34, chapter 15, verse 13 and 14, she can put it up on the screen. Before Abram ever had a son, or, or let me back up to 12, just keep it there. Y'all know that God said, Abram, get up and get away from your father's house into a land that I'm going to show you. And in that place, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make your name great. And all these blessings are going to come on you, and all the earth is going to be blessed by you. He doesn't even have a child. He's 75 years old. His wife is barren, and God is making a promise like this. I'm going to count your, your seed are going to be as the sand of the seashore and the stars of the heaven. And before he ever gets a child, God says this. And your descendants, here it is right here, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers. Listen to this. They're going to be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them for 400 years. Go to the next verse. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Now, I believe this is a picture. Listen, again, all from Genesis all the way through is a picture of God, his will, his creation, man's fall, and God's redemption. I believe this, again, is a picture of redemption before, listen, Christ died before the foundation of the earth. So why did Christ die before the foundation of the earth? Because man failed before he ever got formed. Hello. So God was looking into the future, saw that man was falling, and God here again in the picture of redemption, yep, they're going to go into a land, they're going to be strangers. What are they going to be strangers? In a fallen land, in a land of sin, in a land of iniquity. We were never called to live in sin and trouble and everything that sin brings with it. But when redemption comes, what did God say? I'm going to bring them out and they're going to have great possessions. You know that's what God has always intended for you to live in. 
Listen, beyond, beyond the life. I'm talking about life. I'm not just talking about having a fancy car, gold on your fingers and diamonds and all that stuff. All that stuff is well and I believe is of God and you can have it. I really believe it. God doesn't have a problem with it. But you know what? We were supposed to live in a realm where we would not want anything. I believe he's talking about the Garden of Eden again. Just my thoughts about that, all right? So now we've got these 70 We've got 70 descendants according to Genesis chapter 46, verse 27. After all this period of time and these generations are coming forth, Jacob dies, Joseph dies, and now 70 descendants are 70 children of, of of Jacob make their way into Egypt. And the name, the word, the term Egypt simply means it's a place of slavery, and it always through the scripture would represent sin. Seventy descendants, seventy persons, the Bible said it's there, you can read it. Go in to Egypt. Go in to Egypt. Now the number 70 is, is interesting because it means completeness. It means wholeness. It means opportunity. But it also means potential. If you walk through the Bible, there are different 70, 70 years, 70 persons, 70 this. You know, we read about, a lot about Daniel when Daniel was praying. And you remember that prayer? He said, Lord, I, he fasted for 21 days and the angel appeared and said, I heard you the first day. Because the people of God had been in captivity for 70 years. And the reason Daniel was fasting and praying and asking God to move was the 70 years had come to an end. Wholeness was there. So now he's believing God to restore the people. Just giving you a term for the the word 70. So as they go into Egypt, look with me, chapter 1, look with me at verse 8. Or look at verse 7. And it talks about the generations, and it says, And Joseph died, and all his brethren, and all that generation. But the children of Israel were fruitful, and increased abundantly, and multiplied, and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. I believe Joseph was a type of Christ, a deliverer, a a provider for his people. But a king rose that did not know Joseph. And he said to the people, to his people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we are. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And it happened in the event of war They will join our enemies and fight against us and so go up out of the land. I want to tell you, here's a strategy of the enemy that he knows. Because first of all, we've got to see that all of these people, this is the harvest, are the people of God. Whether they're born again or not, they're God's creation. Every person on this planet. No matter how you look, and I sat in a restaurant with a day with a couple guys, and on the screen behind me, I saw this dude. It had to be demonic to do something like this. So if somebody's like this, please don't be offended at me and don't come. But they were they were piercing him. Not one little pierce. That that that's you know you ladies got earrings. But this guy was putting these things in rows all up and down his arms. 
There's not a guy in his right mind ought to do that. Hello. But I got news for you. He's still a child of God. He was born for the purpose of God. Are, are you okay? They were born. Every man, woman, boy, and girl on this planet, good, bad, ugly, whatever, are born for the purpose of God. They have entered into a world of iniquity of which they don't know it, but they are really in a stranger's. They are strangers in a land that doesn't belong to them. Hello? And God's going to bring them out because he never intended any of us to live lost. So then he says this. If we don't do something, these people of God, this ought to be a good point for us right now. Why regions and cities get together? Because they know if we could ever get our act together and get on the same page, the devil know his day is done. Hello. That's what he does. That's why we need to understand that even as a church, we don't have to wait that to be that on a big scale. we got to have that on the little scale. You know how the enemy can mess with us on a little scale? Just put a burr in somebody. I don't like what Miss Sherry's wearing tonight. I don't like how Crystal does this. I don't like Miss Judy sitting on. I don't like those guys with the. And but we don't realize that is really a tool of the enemy to keep the atmosphere messed up. But if we could ever keep ourselves together, the enemy doesn't stand a chance of us. So he said, let us, let us make it hard on them because they're growing. Because I'm going to tell you, this, this body of Christ, this harvest is no small harvest. This is a huge thing. It is not a few. I, I, at, the, at the National Day of Prayer, I think somebody correct me, I, I heard uh, Dr. Anderson say that two-thirds of the city of Cape Girardeau is not churched. That blew my mind. Two-thirds in a city of 37, 38,000 people. So let's try to figure out what two-thirds are. There, there's about 20-something thousand people in our city that is not going to church. You say, Pastor, it doesn't mean they're not saved, but it don't mean they are either. Hello, because we're living in a messed up world that's got our own opinions of what is saved and what's not saved in this moment. Hello, that just messed with my mind, but this is no small harvest. Look at your neighbor and say, it's no small harvest. It's all around us. So this is what they say we're going to do. We're going to put up taskmasters over them. Now let me give you a definition of what a taskmaster is. It is a ruler of burden and labor. See, we don't think we're under taskmasters. We're driven in this culture. In this generation, we're driven by everything under the sun. And we're picking up. That is the assignment. Notice it's a ruler. What did Paul say? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against spiritual wickedness in high places, against, uh, what, what, help me out, I can't, my mind just went blank on that, uh, against rulers of darkness and, and, and such spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. So there's rulers. I believe, I believe there's a ruler over a generation says, I know how to keep them defeated. I will put them, I will put them under burden. I will put them under labor. Here's another definition. It means to cause you to faint. He said, I'm going to be such a taskmaster, I'm going to cause you to crumble under the load. Here's another definition that goes with you. I'm going to make you pay. 
In other words, if you want to get free and get out, instead of having faith in God to take care of you, you're going to labor because you think through your own labor you can get everything that you want to get. And God never intended for us to labor from the sweat of our brow, but to put our confidence and our faith in His principles and His ways. So He set up taskmasters, and the taskmaster came to afflict. So let's see what the word afflict means. And it simply means this. It means to look down upon. means to look down upon. So what is the purpose of looking down upon us? To make us feel inferior. What can I do? How can we change? See, over the last couple of years in the political spectrum, I'm going to use that. A number of them said, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, if you're going to be a Christian, you are nothing but weak-minded. Hello. We're nothing but weak-minded people. That's what the world is telling us. Now, if you hear that enough, and that's what the media wants to do and all the ugly resources that are out there is to look down upon these believers because, again, and it gets magnified so big out there that we start thinking that we are inferior to the trouble. Somebody asked Rod Parsley a number of years ago, it was back in the Bush era, when, if he would ever run for president, he said, why do I want to take a demotion? (laughs) See, we don't think like that. Why would I want to take a demotion to get involved? As a matter of fact, we can say, but the reality is we carry, if we really understood who we are, that we are the sons and daughters of God, we carry an authority that's far greater than any authority upon the land. If we understood that. So he comes to look down upon us to make us feel inferior. And then he comes to browbeat us. You ever been browbeaten? Some of you, some of you in this place, you've been in abusive situations. You weren't hit with a fist. You were just talked to mean. You were talked to ugly. You were browbeaten, constantly telling you where you're weak, constantly telling you what you're not good at, constantly telling you this. What's the purpose of that? Matter, remember, they already got you feeling inferior, so here's the second thing. Now you're really beginning to believe it. Well, I deserve this. This is who I really am, and you don't believe who you are. That leads us to the third part of the definition it comes. It means to break them totally down and weaken you, which means to give you, to, to allow you to give up the identity of who God said you were, and you're going to embrace an identity that the devil is putting on your life. I know how the enemy knows how to stop the church. He knows how to get us. He knows how. I'm telling you, you don't know how powerful you are. You don't know how what God has put in you. We're going to see this in a minute. You're stronger than what you know. You've got more in you than what you're seeing. Then he said, notice this part of it. They set taskmasters over them to afflict them. Uh, This next part really catches me. With their own or with their burdens. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put a load on them. You ask most people, you look at most people that we're barely getting through because we're carrying so much junk of this world. And if it's not mine, I'm picking up yours. And if it's not yours, I'm picking up theirs. That's why, listen, even with your friends and buddies, you need to be careful. You don't pick up their offenses. 
Because sometimes the enemy will offend your best friend to mess with you. Hello. I tell, maybe it's not the right confession, but I tell people that around here that wants to get close to me, listen, if you're going to be close to me, get ready to get a target on you because if the enemy can't get to me, he'll get to you. Because in messing with you, he's messing with me. And that's where the, how the enemy works. So the Bible said, but the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. So I want to tell you something. Even in your time of trouble, God is doing something that you and I don't know. Sometimes he is strengthening us. Sometimes he's revealing things to us. Even when we're under the load, don't think for one moment that God has forgotten where you are. And then it says, so the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor or to serve in harshness, and they made their lives bitter. That's interesting to me. Made their lives bitter because what are they going to get bitter at? Who are they getting better at? I was listening to Tony Kemp the other day in the, at the Hub and Sunday morning in Ohio. And he made this statement. I never heard anybody talk like this. I, I don't know if y'all saw it Sunday morning. Uh, and correct me if I say it, say it wrong. But he said he was talking to the women. It's Mother's Day. He's preaching at, at uh, Tim Sheets Church. He said, how many women here? That you, you, you know, you have something with your body that you're just upset about your own self. He said, you're angry about how you are. He said, if that's you, stand up. Of course, it looked like from my little phone, everybody in the place stood up. But he wasn't just saying that about women. He said, now men could be in the same spot. You see, sometimes if I get in a spot that I don't like, I start, God, you made me like this. And the reality is, I'm not embracing something. I'm just angry with God. He said, we've got to forget. We've got to come and, and ask God to forgive us for being bitter at him. How many times have you seen people that somebody close to them, they were praying and believing, and they didn't get their answer of what they thought? Well, God, I'm mad at you. Now they're bitter. And that's exactly what the enemy wants for us, church. He wants to make us bitter. He wants us to get bitter at God so that we don't turn our hearts back to him. And then the Bible said, Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name of one was, I uh, uh, can't pronounce her name, and the other was this one. And he said, When you do the duties of the midwife from the heap women and see them on their birthstools, if it is son, then you shall kill them. But if it is a daughter, then he shall live. What is he wanting to kill the young, the male children for? They're the seed carrier. Think about this. For, why do you think the enemy has been after a generation of babies to destroy them? Even when he, even when he spoke to Abraham after Abraham was given, given Isaac and God says, now go to the mountain and sacrifice. And he takes Isaac and he's getting ready to drop the knife on Isaac. And I believe, I believe Abraham was getting ready to kill him as sure as I'm looking at you because he knew God was able to raise him back up. And God grabbed his arm and said, Abraham, don't you do it now. I know that you will serve me and you love me and you'll be obedient to me. And then he said, said this, and your seed will contend with the enemy at the gates. 
You want to know why a generation is messed up? Because listen, moms and dads, this is why we ought to be imparting into our children, praying over them, blessing them, because they're supposed to be giving the devil a fit. They're supposed to be giving him, I mean, let's just say it right, they're supposed to be kicking him all the way to hell. That's what they're, he said, our seed. So the enemy comes to crush our seed and to steal it. And then we know how the story was for you guys. Most of you, I think, know that Moses' mother gave birth and she kept him as long as she could. I think it was three months. And then she decided, I can't keep him secret no more. Puts him in a basket, puts him in the river. And only by the hand of God, God in all of his mercy and grace and deliverance, draws him out of the water. And by the daughter of Pharaoh, and draws him up out of the water. And she calls for a midwife to come, or for one of the Hebrew women to come and nurse him. And it just so happens God knows how to set it all up in his plan to have the mother of, of Moses come and, and nurse him until he was grown. Now we've got a Hebrew, we've got a Hebrew boy, born Hebrew, but now he's growing up in the house of Egypt. Here again, I believe, is a type and a shadow of Adam. Before the fall, he was born as a son of God in the image and the likeness of God. But then because of sin and what was put into the water, now he's growing up in the house of Pharaoh. But then as time moves on, he grows and, and this thing is working because the life of God is on the inside of him. And he sees a couple, he sees an Egyptian messing with a Hebrew and he takes advantage of it and he slays the Egyptian and covers him up in the sand because he thinks, nobody sees him. Why did he do that? Because deliverance is working in him. And he doesn't know how to deal with the deliverance that God said, I'm going to use you in. And then when the Hebrews see him, they said, wait a minute, you're not messing with We saw all of that. And it put, put Moses on the run. And then Moses goes into the land of Midian. We're there Moses meets his wife, and he's at his in the property, I guess you could say, of Jethro, but he's at Horeb. Notice what the Bible said, the mountain of God. And while he's at Horeb, he has an encounter. An encounter. Encounters don't come to impress us. Encounters are there to get our attention to something that God wants to do. So he gets there, and while he's there watching these sheep, and it's a desert region, no doubt, and evidently, it must have not been the first time he saw a bush burning, but it was the first time he saw a bush burning not being consumed. And he said, I will turn to see this sight of why this bush is not burning, is not being consumed, brother. And when he turns to look into it, then the voice of the Lord speaks out of it. And God says, it's time, Moses. Remember the prophecy to Abram? 400 years. 400 years have passed. And God says, it's time to bring the people out. What has been the word of the Lord that we have declared from the beginning of this year? The first thing that we put in our declarations. It's the Lord's time. Matter of fact, we began declaring before the first of the year also that this would be a year of fulfillment. That God was going to fulfill some things. So when we say it's the Lord's time, 
we're not just talking about just any old time. What God has promised and been saying to us, it's time for him to fulfill it. And he says to Moses, Moses, I have heard the cry of my people. I've heard the cry of the harvest. I've seen their labor. I've seen their struggles. Don't think for a moment God doesn't know what's happening in the streets and what's happening in the lives of the people. He said, that's never what I planned for them. I don't think as much as it looks like they're enjoying everything they're doing, I believe there are more people crying and weeping than ever before. Why are more people taking their lives? Why is more people on drugs and trying to get something? Why is there so much anxiety? Why is there so many things happening in our world like never before? God says, I hear it. It's about the harvest. It was never about Moses, but he's going to use Moses. And he comes to Moses and he said, I've heard the cry of my people. Do you ever notice this? Just a little side note here. There's four different aspects or maybe four different dimensions, maybe four different characteristics of, of how God identifies people. First of all, he said they are his people. Or we are his people. The psalmist David said we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. In other words, he said you're what I created. I created you. I made you for my purpose and my glory. But then in another place here in the book of Exodus, he tells, he tells Moses, he said, I've heard the cry of my people. Then he said, I want you to go get into the face of Pharaoh and tell him to let my son go. Now he's identifying this whole group of people as his son. What do you mean as his son? Because the son lives and walks in the characteristics, in the image and the likeness of his father. We carry the DNA of our Father for His purpose. But then as we move on from the Old Testament and into the New Testament, we're identified not only as a people, not only as a son, but we're identified as the church, the body of Christ. That we carry His authority and we carry the life of heaven on the inside of us. And the fourth thing that we get identified is as His bride. The one that he wants to rule and reign with him throughout eternity forever and ever and ever. Just thought you might want to know those things. <laughs> I'm thinking about something I said to somebody the other day about what I need to be doing. But then he speaks to Moses out of the tree. So remember, this is a picture of redemption. The tree is a picture of the cross. The fire is representative of the Holy Spirit. Because without the work of the Holy Spirit, you and I will not be drawn to the Father. Nor would the cross, nor would the cross be appealing. It would be another tree. But the work of the Holy Spirit, along with what God did at the cross, is drawing us into Him. And the tree that began to speak, the voice that came out of it, I believe, this is just Zach, you guys can look at me weird if you want. But the voice that speak out, I believe, is the preaching of the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation. He's telling us something. Moses had an encounter with the tree. I had an encounter with God when I was a little boy listening to a missionary to Honduras on a Sunday night in my home church as he talked about what Jesus did at the cross. 
I can't remember the message. Honestly, I can't. But I know there was something happened when that preacher preached. Something was moving my heart that was only, I believe, the work of the Holy Spirit that began to draw this young boy to the Lord. Every one of us somewhere down the line, you've already had an encounter with God. Now, I'm not saying it's the only one you have because we have many encounters with the Lord as we go. But that encounter comes for a purpose. I want you to understand that it's not so that you and I could go, wow, look at that. But it is really to draw us to the purpose of God and to give our attention to Him. Then he says to Moses, he says, Moses, I want you to take the shoes off your feet for the place you're on is holy ground. You know, I really believe he's talking to him. This is repentance. Because what was the first message that Jesus came preaching? So did John the Baptist. He came preaching. He came preaching repentance. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John said it like this. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's one that's coming after me whose shoe latches I'm not worthy to. What? He didn't say tie up. He said to unloose. So when he's talking about holy ground, he's talking about a whole different nature. The word holy means to be separated or to me other than. We're not to live like this world. He's saying, I want to separate you under my purpose. And God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And sometimes, and I believe God is still, when a prophet comes in and he speaks directly to you, it's not just necessarily to tell you everything about your future to be a fortune teller, but he's telling you God's got a great plan for your life. I got to thinking about this 400 years of these people being in bondage. and God said, I've heard the cry. Are you, are you okay? He said, I've heard the cry of my people, and I've come down to deliver them. Now, notice this. He said, I'm going, he said tell them that I'm going to bring them out, and I'm going to bring them into a land that is good. I'm glad we sang that song tonight. Thank you. I love that song. It's been so many years since we sing it. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that is with me. God is so good. And then he, then he, then he brought him. He, he said, I'm going to bring them into a land that overflows with milk and honey. You know why? I really believe this. He had to talk to them about blessing, even though it had been for them the whole time. But because they have lived in slavery and lived without and lived lesser than the life that God planned for them, he reminded them of a blessing in order to get them to move towards what he had. I believe that's why God speaks to us sometime the way he does. Because if he just talked to me in a way of, of maturely, in a sense, and said, if you'll come to me, I'll transform your life. You've heard me tell the story of young Cho that goes to the little woman that's in the mud hut, her, just got tin over a roof, and he's telling her all about Jesus in the early days of his ministry. And he said, lady, if you'll give your heart to Jesus, you'll go to heaven. If you don't, you're going to go to hell. And she said, he said, the little lady looked at him, me and Diane heard him tell the story. The little lady looked at him and said, sir, as far as your heaven is concerned, I can't even comprehend it. And as far as hell is concerned, what greater hell could I be in than what I'm in right now? You see, sometimes our tactic is, hey, hey, you're on your way to hell. They're already in hell. 
Or at least that's what they feel and think. That is not the answer. Or you just need to go to heaven. They can't comprehend it. But he went back and began to pray. And what did God? What did God gave him a plan? Said, take her back a bag of rice and teach her my ways and teach her about my goodness and how I want to bless her and provide for her. He showed her blessing that began to cause her to go towards him. She said, I've come down to deliver. And I'm going to bring them into a land. So here, he has an encounter. The encounter is to get our intention. That's why I'm saying, I started out tonight. What is the prophet saying? If that's all he did was come, I don't need to have another guest, nor do I need to have you put your money into anybody else if all we're doing is looking at them as somebody that's stopping by. Because we just wasted all of everything that God did. But we must pay attention to what God is saying. And I do believe we're in a movement. Because it was to bring the people out of bondage into the life of God. I think there's four things, especially we as this church, need to know where we are right now. We have, I really believe, a divine call to this region. That has been spoke over and over and over for years. I don't know why we ought to be wasting time with this region, putting money in the region when we got this and that, because God said that's why. We play a key role in what goes on in this region. I believe it with all my heart. Here's another part of the movement. What is God saying right now? It's harvest time. I'm not just saying that. The national prophets are declaring that. So what should we be praying into? The harvest. God, show us how to get it. Show us how to reap it. Lord, show me my harvest that I got together. I'm not going to go into Tanya's harvest field and get it. I'm going to go into mine. Every one of us have a harvest field. Our fields may be a little bit different, but every one of us have got it there. Here's another thing that God is saying. This is on a national scale. and Somebody's speaking to this house. Healing. Miracles. Well, I'm waiting for Tony Kemp to come and we're going to watch him do it all. That's not what God said. Matter of fact, if I bring Tony Kemp in here to do it, it's got one purpose behind it. To train us to do what God is saying. I'm just using him. We've got Ben and Pam here helping to train us. And many others are doing the same thing. And he didn't just say in the house of God. This is every day. We ought to be looking for opportunities to pray for people. If God says healing is here, well, I'm going to go, hey, I'm going to go, I'm going to send you to the healing room. What if they can't get to the healing room? And what if you forgot Ben and Pam's phone number? And what if you can't get to June? And what if you can't get to Pastor Val and Sherry? I may not even answer the phone whether you got my number or not. But if you can't get through to me, what are you going to do? Let them die? Hello? Church, he's, this is what God is speaking. He says, well, pastor, I, 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 I just don't feel. He didn't say anything about you feeling. He said, this is what I'm doing. He just needs us, Miss Judy. Moses felt the same thing. I, I, but, 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 but Lord, what am I going to tell him? Read on. I don't have time to read every verse. 
He said in verse 10, he said, come now. He said, I've heard their cry in verse 9. He said in verse 10, he said, now I'm sending you. Oh, <laughs> you that never thought you could do something great for God because you think you're all messed up. Need to get over yourself and know that your righteousness is not by how good you think you are, how you, all you got it together, my righteousness is of him. Now, let me make sure that we understand. I do believe we ought to live right. I do believe we need to constantly be growing in God. But God can still take me in my mess and do something great through my life. And He can do it through your life if you will allow Him. When my brother was drunk, my brother could talk to you about Jesus. Oh, he knew how to talk about Jesus when he was drunk. Now, a lot of people may not received it, but the reality was he would talk Jesus when he was drunk. And there's people that do stuff like that. And God's, we have, you, you've heard me talk about Rocky and what was her name, Balva from years ago. You know who led him to the Lord? Was, a, was an insurance man that was a new believer himself that got filled with the Holy Ghost. He was a crazy maniac that should have been locked up. That's what Dr. Parrish always said. New believers ought to be locked up for at least a day because they're just crazy about Jesus. But he smoked like a freight train. The whole time he's... I'm not saying you're going to go to hell if you're smoking, but he just done... And he was leading more people to the Lord than all of us that didn't do anything. Hello. So he said, I'm sending you. But then Moses was like this. But, but Lord... Who am I? Who am I? Every one of us feel that. That comes from that part of Egypt. Remember, to make us feel inferior, to make us not believe. Who? But, but who am I? And God says, you're the one that I'm sent. So Moses said, but God, what am I going to say? Who am I going to tell them? I really believe this is an important point in this moment of time. He says this. He said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus shall you say to the children of Israel, I am has sent you. So in other words, this is not about you. And in this hour, I believe we've got to put our egos on the altar and get them out of the way. Because we've got one assignment. You, you know, our egos get in the way all the time. And if you don't think we'd have one, just hang on. It'll show up. But I got to get my ego out of the way. You know how I know? You know how I know when my ego isn't out of the way? Because I get upset when God's using other people. When he's doing things to other people, especially those I don't think he ought to do it with. Hello? Or if I see another church growing, and I, I really believe that. I, I really truly believe that. You've got to have a test somehow to know where you are. But we ought to be rejoicing in the successes of others as long as the kingdom is expanding and people are coming in. Yes, I've got dreams, I've got ambitions, I've got desires. But the biggest thing is the end result. Not everybody look at what I did. Hello? And that, that ruins a lot of believers right there. And God said, you tell them, I am. I really believe that. If our ego is in the way, I, I, you, you might be surprised. God said, I, I, you're, you're disqualifying yourself. It's not your sin, it's your ego. 
that's got in the way that you're stumbling over. I don't mean, it's probably none of you. It's everybody that's watching me online or that will watch it later. But I know my ego gets in there. I know it does. You know what's great? hard? I've, I've learned this. The greater the gifts gets around you, the stronger the gifts come up, it will really start unfolding itself because it starts making you feel threatened. They're taking my spot. They're going to do what I'm supposed to be doing. This is going to happen. Never fails. I've had to deal with that and probably still will deal with it. Hello. He said, I am has sent me. I am is sending you. And Moses said, I, I got to land with this, but Lord, but, but Lord, I, 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 I can't speak well, God. God said, shut up. You're talking yourself out of this. He said, I'm going to give you a voice, and he brings Aaron. Aaron is a type of the Holy Spirit that comes alongside him to be your voice. He said, I will speak to him and fill your mouth. And the Holy Spirit will speak for us if we will trust him. And then God says two things, and this is it. He said, but Lord, I'm still not satisfied. He said, hey, what do you got in your hand? I got this rod. He said, I put an authority in you. You know, this is parallels with everything in the New Testament. Everything in it. He said to his early apostles, he said, go, I've given you authority. And then he said this, put your hand in your cloak. And he pulled it out and it was leprous. He said, put it back and it became whole. What's he doing with him? He said, I'm putting healing in you. I'm putting deliverance in you. I'm putting freedom in you. It's already there in every one of us in this room. If we would dare just allow God to take us. and I may not even pray properly. Nothing says you have to pray for five hours. He said to have the faith of a little child. Jesus, touch him. Like the man years ago in Kentucky, the old hillbilly that wanted to be filled with the Holy Ghost, got down on his knees and said, Happy landing, Holy Ghost. <laughs> filled up just like that. Sometimes I believe we say, wait, we talk way too much in our praying. He, matter of fact, he didn't really tell us to pray for, for him to be healed. He said, heal him. So he said, you command the sickness to go. And release the healing virtue. So there's encounters. If you've had an encounter with God. And you and I can keep crying. God I need another encounter. And God can come in. And bring another person. Speak in your life. Something wild and crazy can happen. And it's always to get your attention. To bring you to his purpose. And then we as individuals. And even as a church. Have to be thinking and praying in. To what God is doing. Right now we all ought to be really praying into what's happening in Washington with the, with the United States Supreme Court. Because this thing ain't totally settled. But you know what they're doing? They're holding their posters up like this. And they're in front of the Supreme Court justices' homes. But we the church ought to be lifting our voices that way. Saying God we believe you. And declare that you are working and you will overturn. And binding up the powers of darkness. And getting involved. Hello. We've got a harvest to gain. 
We ought to be seeing it. That ought to be on our lips, healing. We ought to be looking. Listen, every week we ought to have, I'm serious. We ought to be having testimonies come. You know what? We prayed for somebody. It just happened to be at Huddle House or it happened to be at the mall. But I just felt I needed to pray and this happened. That ought to be what we're hearing every day. And we come to the house of the Lord to share that because when you share what God did with you, you know what? If he can use Pia Dad that speaks Spanish and makes good tacos... If he can use her, then he could surely use me. I mean, this little Lutheran young lady back there, she didn't know any better than to put her hands on herself and just believe God that he could heal her. And it happened. She didn't have 50 years of her life in what you and I have been taught. She heard That ought to inspire every one of us. God is moving. And doing great things. Come on, stand with me. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the encounter. Thank you for the movement, God. And thank you that a great harvest is at our hands. And I thank you tonight that, God, your people are going to step up to the task and to the assignment. Our day of excuses are over. Our egos we're going to put on the altar. We know that you've given this church a great assignment to do, to touch this region that will help steward a move of God through it. But not only that, but to see a great harvest of souls come in, not only for here, but, God, I want it for every church in this city and every church in this region and this in this nation and God we're going to see it I believe it God in the name of Jesus that we're going to shout with praise of all the great things that we have seen you done so God we give you praise I pray God we walk out boldly and strongly and I declare to them that they carry the authority of heaven and in them is healing power because you have spoken over this house in Jesus name Amen. Amen. Go look for somebody and get them healed.